If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that right now. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you have a hard copy of the Bible or if you want to bring that up on your phone, uh, 1 Samuel toward the beginning of the Bible, toward the beginning of the Old Testament. Always want to remind you as you're flipping to places in the Bible uh, that as you are looking through your Holy Bible trying to find something, it is okay to use the Holy Table of Contents, okay? Uh, if you're like, ah, I'm confused, I don't know where that is, just flip right to the beginning. It'll give you a page number, jump right in there with us. Why don't you joining us as we kick off a brand new teaching series tonight. We're calling this Teaching series, Cautionary Tales. It's going to be four weeks long. What we're going to do is we're going to tell four cautionary tales out of the scriptures, really four cautionary tales that happen right after one another in four successive generations. Uh, And we'll begin tonight in 1 Samuel 18. Uh, As I think about cautionary tales, I think about the truth of a cautionary tale is this, that, that it's a story that is told to you so that you'll remember a principle. Because if I tell you the principle, you probably won't remember the principle, but if I tell you the story, the story will stick and you'll remember the cautionary tale. It's like this when I was in high school. Uh, I remember the story of my dad and my, my dad all growing up was an executive at Bank of America. And so we had a ton of people working for him, ton of decisions came across his desk. And he told me about this one day when there was this meeting that happened and he made a decision. And it was a decision the room really didn't like. And it was the decision that he had to deliver, not gently, but forcefully to a room full of very unhappy people. Well, the meeting breaks up and everyone goes back to their office. And this one woman in particular is really upset with my dad for the decision he made. Not only for the decision he made, but how he made the decision and communicated that to this meeting. She goes back to her office. She sits down at her computer and she starts typing out an email about how upset she is about this particular meeting and how my dad was. And then decides to sprinkle in some descriptions of my dad that would not be appropriate for me to share from a church stage. Right? She says all this and she sends off this email. And here's the reason I'm telling you this story. Here's the reason I know about this email. Because in her frustration and anger and warped self about my dad, she was thinking about him so much, she decided to put him in the two line of the email she fired off. Yeah, brutal. And so growing up, this was the cautionary tale I heard. And the cautionary tale was this. Always think about who is in the receiving line of your email or of your text message. And here's the thing. I could tell you that principle. I could have been told that principle. But the fact that I heard that story always makes me think when I'm about to send something that has anything in it that's not just like, hi, like thinking about it and going, huh, how do I not send this text to the wrong person? How do I not send this email? This is a cautionary tale. Uh, A cautionary tale is a principle that is given to us through a story that is the wisdom that other people have earned over a lifetime of living. Uh, Like if I could put it differently for you tonight as I set up the story, it's this, that knowledge, knowledge is the awareness that that knowing that a hundred billion people have lived before you. That's kind of the estimate that people put out there. A hundred billion people have lived before you. And if you know that, good, you have knowledge. But here's what wisdom is. Wisdom is learning from their mistakes so that you don't have to make them too. That's what wisdom is. That's what learning from cautionary tales is. There have been billions of people that have lived before you, billions of people that have made mistakes and done terrible things and suffered the consequences. And wisdom is you having the foresight to look into their stories so that you don't have to make the same mistakes too. That's true for the 100 billion people who have lived before us. It's especially true when we turn to the Bible. Like when you turn to the Bible, what you see is not the story of like triumphant believers who are always doing it right. Rather, it's the story of real people like you 
and me who are stumbling and falling through faith and life. And over the next four weeks, we're going to try to learn from four of those individuals. And tonight, as we kick off this Cautionary Tales series, uh, Cautionary Tales time of thinking and kind of processing through these stories, um, the Cautionary Tale we're going to look at tonight is going to surround the subject of jealousy. Of jealousy. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. We are going to talk about jealousy, envy. I'm going to define jealousy in this way. Jealousy is the painful awareness that someone else, someone else has what you want. Jealousy is this thing that gets stirred up within us. We don't even like to talk about it. We don't even like to admit that it's there, but it's this emotion, this deep felt well within us that that person has what I always wanted and it gets out of control. Envy and jealousy is called this green-eyed monster that can just take over without you being aware of. I'll point this out to you that we do not like to talk about jealousy. And listen, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I don't just mean like Christians don't like to talk about it. No one likes to talk about it. Nobody likes to talk about their own jealousy. Nobody likes to talk about this experience. And here's two of the reasons why I think. Um, Number one, we don't think it's an issue for us. We've kind of convinced ourselves that other people are jealous and jealous is what petty people do. Envy is what like small-minded people do. And I'm not one of those people. Or even worse, if you're a Christian type in this room or listening online, you kind of spiritualize it and you just go, no, God's given me everything I need. I would just really like his car. You know, like we spiritualize it. Here's the second reason though. The second reason is because we feel petty when jealousy is an issue for us, right? Don't you feel petty? When you actually notice how jealous you are of someone else, you feel small and petty. You feel like a middle schooler, right? It's easy for us to justify other experiences in life. Like when you're angry, It's easy for you to be like, well, I'm angry because that person is a moron, right? That's easy for us. When you're greedy and you're spending too much money on yourself, it's easy to justify, well, I'm a very important person. In fact, the center of my whole universe is me, so it's easy to spend money on me. When you're anxious and nervous, it is easy. That is the easiest thing for us to talk about, being worried and nervous and anxious about the future because it all feels justified. But when we talk about jealousy, we just feel petty and we feel small. But here's the danger. The danger that we're going to see tonight is that if we don't address that jealousy, if we don't think about it, if we don't talk about it, especially in church, if we don't have these conversations, that ultimately it is going to blow up your life. Uh, I'm not trying to overstate this. I want to show this to you through the story tonight, um, that if we don't talk about jealousy, that if we're not talking about and identifying and resolving this jealousy, it is ultimately going to cause pain in your life. It will ultimately unravel you. So let me ask you this question tonight. And I want to ask you this question. You don't owe me an answer, but you owe you an answer, and you certainly owe God an answer. Here's the question I want to ask tonight. Who are you jealous of? Who are you jealous of? And I want you to be specific. I don't want you to be vague about it. I don't want you to put ideas out there. I want you to think about specific people or specific types of people that you are jealous of. Where does jealousy get stirred up in you? Because it's not going to be the same for all of us. I said tonight that it's difficult for us to talk about jealousy. And so uh, as a leader in the room, I'm going to try to lead and go first, okay? So I'm just going to share all of the petty, gross, small parts of my soul, and I'll continue to share it throughout the sermon. Um, I I get jealous of all sorts of things. Uh, There are times I just identify and see this jealousy and and all the ways I'm twisted up. Uh, I'm jealous of, I'm just going to start with this one because it's simple and it's easy. Um, Dudes who have like really good beards, 
I'm jealous of you, all right? But I'm je- I am, okay, I'll be honest. Like, you, you've always seen me clean shave and you may think like, oh, that's like his style. No, no, it's like my necessity, okay? Because when it does grow out, it, it kind of like comes in patchy and it doesn't really connect. And then people are like, Brian, you work with children, right? It's just like, it's just bad, okay? Like, don't, like, so I don't do that. But then I see a guy with a really cool beard or like that permanent five o'clock stubble. And I'm just like, dang, jealous, I'm jealous of people who are like perpetually easily skinny, okay? Like like the person who just has the jawline that's like, wow, you could cut a diamond with that, like amazing. And you might be like, Brian, being skinny doesn't give you any value. And listen, I know that, but jealousy's not rational, right? Jealousy's this irrational thing where I see someone, I'm like, man, I have to like really try, but you, you do whatever you want and you look like that. I totally get jealous. I get jealous of other preachers. Sometimes I'm watching a YouTube video or I'm in a church service and someone's preaching and I just go, I hate that guy. You know, just, uh, and you're like, preachers get jealous? Yes, we totally do. See someone just preaching and just killing it up there. I'm like, man, I'll never be like that guy. I was thinking about when it comes to money. Um, money's not like a big draw on my heart. I don't really need a really nice car, a really nice house. So I don't tend to get jealous of those things. Like I walk out in the parking lot and see some of your cars and I, I'll see it. I'm like, oh, that's a cool car. But then I'm like really happy with what I'm in. Here's the one place I get jealous. I get jealous on airplanes of people who fly first class all the time, right? Like I'm just like this guy, like making it back to coach and you have to walk past them, which is the worst part. You're like, yes, you're the royalties up here, right? And then, then me back there, I'm kind of a big guy. So I'm cramped back there. I'm just jealous. And so that's the thing. I want you to identify that, whether it's a silly, small thing or a deep, profound thing that you are jealous of. Maybe you're jealous of someone's income, jealous of their wealth. Maybe their car or their house or their salary or their position at your company really makes you jealous. Maybe you're jealous of their intellectual ability. Didn't you grow up sometimes just hating the person in class who never had to study but just aced everything? That's jealousy. You're jealous of their intellectual abilities or their creative abilities. Maybe you're jealous of their musical abilities or their artistic capacity. Maybe you're a singer or a songwriter and you see some of these folks up here and you're like leading you into worship, but there's also this little part of you that's like, oh, I wish I had that talent. Like jealousy can just kind of seep into everywhere. Listen, I think some of you are jealous of your best friend's relationship. I think some of you are jealous of someone else who's married but you think you're kind of a better person than them and you can't believe that God would allow them to be married and you're still single and suffering. Like, listen, we can be jealous of good things in other people's lives. We can be jealous of people we actually like. We like them, we care about them. We can be jealous of them. Listen, some of you are jealous of like the moral integrity of someone you know. Like they're just such a good person and they're always happy and they're always well-dressed and they're always like their life is together and you're like jealous, but you also hate them. Listen, Here's what you need to do tonight. You need to identify who you're jealous of. Because I said it before, I wanna say it again, that not identifying, not thinking through, not being aware and identifying and resolving your jealousy will ultimately unravel you. And tonight, as we jump into this story that we're gonna see, this cautionary tale I wanna tell you out of the scriptures, I don't want you to vaguely think about jealousy. I want you to be honest with yourself. You don't have to be honest with the person sitting next to you tonight. You don't know them anything. But I want you to be honest with you I want you to be honest with God tonight about where jealousy has shown up in your life, where this envy, this realization, this painful realization that someone else has what you want. Because as we think about it tonight, I think you're gonna start to find some freedom through this cautionary tale and through the truth of the gospel. So again, 1 Samuel 18, if your Bibles are open, we'll have it in here on the screen as well. We're gonna start in verse five. It says this, whatever mission Saul sent David on, 
David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all of the troops and Saul's officers as well. Okay, so let's start the story this way. Let me get all the the main characters in place. If you grew up in church, you kind of know the whole Saul, David thing. You kind of know that. But I don't assume everyone here grew up in church. So let me kind of walk you through it. Saul is the first king of Israel. So all the way back thousands of years ago, a thousand years before Jesus, there was the nation of Israel and God said, whatever you do, nation of Israel, you don't want a king. Because if you have a king, it's going to be a disaster. You won't like it. And the nation of Israel goes, that's a really good idea, God, except for the part where we really want a king. There's actually this amazing story a few chapters before this where the people are like, well, all the other nations have a king. And God's like, but it's going to destroy you. And they're like, we want to be destroyed, right? Seriously, go read it. It's awesome. But anyway, this is Saul. Saul is the first king of Israel. The one identifying marker that Saul is given, we won't cover the scripture tonight, is that he's tall. Okay, like this was the thing. They just looked around. They're like, you're the tallest, you're in charge. And this actually happens in our world today. Like the average male in the United States is like 5'8". The average CEO of a Fortune 500 company is 6'2". This isn't right or wrong or good or bad. It's just a universal thing. You're tall, you're in charge. That's Saul. Saul, tall, in charge, wins wars, kills people. David, young, rugged, slayed a giant, writes music. He's like this Renaissance man where Saul is like the classic guy in the suit. David's like the rugged young artist who everyone's like, yeah, that's the new vibe right there. This is David. David kills Goliath. David is loved. David is this fierce warrior, but also a poet and a songwriter. He's this Renaissance man. And here's what you've got. You've got King Saul sending this young hotshot named David out on missions. And it says David, the young hotshot, was so successful that Saul, the king, gave him a high rank in the army. So here's the story we're going to look at tonight. Tonight, we're going to look at the story of Saul's life unraveling because of his jealousy of David. We're going to look at the story of how Saul's jealousy and envy and fear and feeling threatened by David completely unravels his life. But I want to actually begin with a really interesting observation in the text here. And the interesting observation is that you've got Saul, you've got David, And then what you'll notice is you've got Saul giving him a high rank in the army. So Saul is able to give people high ranks in the army. Why? Because he's the king. He's in charge. He's got all the power. He's got all the cards. He's got all the money. He's got the army. He's got the wealth. Saul is totally in charge. Listen, Saul's on top of the world. And yet this is a story of how Saul is jealous of David. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting to me that this isn't the story of like some guy who has nothing being jealous of someone who has everything. It's the story of the guy who has everything being jealous of the guy who works for him. And here's what's so interesting. I think there's a lie that some of us have internalized and I wanna speak that out loud so I can expose that lie tonight. And here's the lie that I think some of us have internalized. It's this, it's once I get what I want, I won't be jealous anymore. I wonder if you've internalized that lie. Like you feel jealous and envious of someone, your sister, your friend, someone at your company, someone at your school, someone in your life, someone in this world, you just look at them and you're jealous of the influence they have, uh, of the way they look in that dress, uh, of the money they make, the car they drive, of the followers they have on social media, whatever your thing is that you're jealous, you have this assumption, once I get what they have, I won't be jealous anymore. But here's what we find in the story of Saul and David. Saul has everything David has ever had and more. And he's still jealous. In other words, Saul is living his dream. And yet he's still walking through this unbelievable jealousy we're going to see in this story. 
And here's what we need to remember. We need to remember that you living your dream, you accomplishing your dreams, you getting the thing you want to get will not end your jealousy issues. Like I'll put it to you this way. So I've been married to my wife, Danny, for eight years. And since I met Danny, really actually since she was in high school, but certainly since I met her, she has always articulated one dream for her life. Her dream for her life has always been and continues to be that she would be a stay-at-home mom. That's what she wanted to do. That's always been her dream. And sometimes people have come along and said, no, you don't want that to be your dream. You got, you're wasting your life. You gotta go work. What she thinks is nonsense and I think is nonsense too. If you wanna be a stay-at-home mom, go dream and go do it because it's awesome, but that's a different sermon. Okay, anyway, so that's her dream. Be a stay-at-home mom. And guess what? We have two babies right now, a one-year-old and a three-year-old, and she is a stay-at-home mom. She's living her dream. She's getting to raise babies. She's at home with them all day. It's amazing. My dream since I was in high school was to be a pastor. I didn't know what that meant or what that looked like. I'd never heard of Calvary Community Church. I just wanted to preach the Bible and tell people about Jesus. And now I'm living that dream. So here's what you've got. Two people married to each other. One who's a stay-at-home mom and one who's a pastor. Both of them are living their dream. Do you know what we do sometimes to each other? We get jealous of one another. That's what we do. Like, like she's at home and she goes, well, Brian goes off to work and he goes to work and he gets to talk to adults all day and he gets to eat whenever he wants to eat. And if he has to pee, he can just go to the bathroom whenever he wants. Like she's just jealous. She's upset. She thinks I have all this freedom and she's longing for the thing I have. And then what do I do? I get up in the morning and I come into the office or I come into a moment like this and I go, well, she's living the dream because our babies are asleep right now and she just gets to hang out and she doesn't even have to like really get dressed for the day. She just hangs out at home. It's so easy. It's so simple. She's just with the babies. Do you see what happens? We're both living our dream. We wouldn't want to give up our dream, but there's still jealousy flying around. Can you please forsake the idea that once you get your dream or accomplish the thing you always wanted, then life will be perfect and you won't have any problems anymore? Can you just get rid of that idea in your mind? You will continue to be jealous. Why? Because that's what we see in all of human history. Saul is David, jealous of David. There are superstar athletes who have accomplished every dream they ever wanted since childhood who are still jealous of others. There are billionaires out there who are still jealous of others. Movies and celebrities and superstars on the screen who are jealous of others. Listen, there are megachurch pastors who lead huge congregations who are jealous of others. We must forsake the idea that once you get everything you ever want, then you'll stop being jealous. The, the story goes on this way, and I want you to see um, how it goes on. It says in verse 6, it, it says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing and with joyful songs and timbrels and lyres. So, so this is like a fascinating moment. David is coming back from war and Saul is coming back from war. But who does it say they're going to meet? They're actually coming out and they're going to meet King Saul. And, and then what's happening? There's women out in the street with instruments dancing for Saul. Okay, if anything's gonna boost his ego, if anything's gonna make him feel awesome, it's the fact that women are flooding into the street singing praises to him. But then that's where it turns. See, at the bottom of the verse, it says this. It says, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. I have no idea how they put that to rhythm. Maybe someday the worship people will put that together into something cool for us, but they're singing this out loud. Saul has slain thousands. David, tens of thousands. And this is what is going to begin to unravel Saul's life. 
this silly little song that's just a couple of lines long. They sang and they danced. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And why is this gonna unravel Saul's life? The reason is really simple, and I hope you realize this really quickly. Um, The reason it's going to unravel Saul's life is because Saul begins in this moment to play the comparison game. He begins to play the game of here's how many people I've killed in war and here's how many people he's killed in war. And he's stacking this up and he's measuring and he's playing the comparison game. And here's what you need to know. If you play the comparison game, you will always lose. You always lose. If you play the game of comparing your life or your skill or your talent or anything to someone else, you will always lose. Why? Because there's always someone better than you. Like if you think you're just like the most talented person at something, there's always someone better. If you're really impressed with the amount of money you make or the house you have or the car you drive, there's always someone with something better. If you're impressed with how smart you are, how talented you are, how physically fit you are, how much you can lift or how fast you can run or how good you look, there will always be someone who's better. That's why I say anytime you play the comparison game, you lose. Like it's been said that that comparison is the thief of joy, right? Uh, Like it's been said that when we compare, it just robs joy. Here's the way I wanna put it to you tonight. It's this, that comparison is a premeditated discouragement. It is you deciding ahead of time, I'm going to compare myself to others. And when I compare myself to others, I am always gonna find myself discouraged. And this is the story we're watching with David and Saul. What's going on is there's a comparison that's beginning this jealousy, this envy, that's ultimately going to unravel Saul's life. And here's what I think is fascinating about this. Um, Comparison was an issue a thousand years before Jesus, right? This story is written about 3,000 years ago. Comparison is an issue back then. And and here's what I just realized. Like like how much more so is it an issue right now, right? Uh, Because back then it was like women pouring into the streets singing this song, which is a pretty abnormal thing. We can all kind of confess that. But now it's like you don't even have to have anyone else in the room with you. You just kind of turn on your phone and scroll through social media. And all you can do is just compare yourself to other people all day. Look at the vacation they took. And I just kind of like walked outside today. Or or look at how they look in that dress and look at how I look. Or, Or look at how much weight they're lifting versus me. Like you can just constantly do this thing where you are comparing yourself to others on social media. And here's what I want you to know. If you go on social media, if that's a part of your life, if you've decided this is valuable for you, I just want you to remember that comparison is this premeditated discouragement. Is it premeditated you being discouraged? Um, I'll point this out um, because I want to talk about social media for a moment. Uh, It's this, and it's up here on the screen, um, that social media, I want to be clear on this, didn't create your jealousy issues. I want to tell you this tonight because I think right now it's really popular to think like social media created all of our problems, right? Like when the social dilemma came out, I cannot tell you how many people are like, Brian, you've got to watch this movie. You've got to watch this documentary. You've got to watch this thing. And listen, I went and watched. And here's what I came away thinking. Two things. Number one, I came away thinking, yeah, there's some really strange stuff that these social media companies are doing and they're profiting off our attention. I should probably be aware of my social media use. Like, fair enough. But, but, but here's the conclusion I didn't come away with. I did not come along with, uh, away with the idea that social media is the problem, that social media is creating all of these problems within me. And I know that flies against the face of everything you're hearing right now, everything everyone's saying right now, but here's what I'm convinced of. Social media didn't create your jealousy issues. Social media reveals your jealousy issues. It reveals that there was already a problem in your heart, and social media just brought that to the surface, and thank God for that. 
Thank God when your sin and your jealousy and your issues are brought to the surface because then you can deal with it. Like, like, let me put it to you this way. So um, 2016, I was the high school pastor here at Calvary and things were going really well for our high school ministry. We had just seen God like bless us and people were coming out of nowhere. It was just like a booming ministry for us. And so we started to send people, not just to camps or like events we did, but we started sending out mission trips all over the world. And we're sending kids out to preach the gospel. And eventually we had too many kids to go on a mission trip. So we made what we thought was a really bold decision. We're not just gonna send one mission trip this spring break. We're gonna send two mission trips this spring break. One to the country of Uganda and one to the country of Ukraine. And I gotta be honest with you. In that moment, it felt really cool We had kids proclaiming the good news of Jesus on two different continents at the same time. It felt awesome. It felt cool. There was like all these like high fives in the office. Everyone felt real good about that. We go on the trip, amazing week. I get back from the trip. I'm on social media. I'm scrolling through, see a pastor buddy of mine from Northern California who posts, just got home from the mission trip with 200 high school students. And I went, hate that guy. but how gross is that? Like how actually gross is that, that I thought that? How gross is it that I looked at 200 high school kids, went to proclaim the good news of Jesus, and my first thought was, well, that's better than I did, or that's more kids than I did, or that's more people than I had, and so therefore I hate this guy. Isn't that gross? But here's what I wanna show you. Like what I wanna show you in the midst of this is that social media didn't create, here, we can go back one. Social media didn't create that jealousy issue. Social media revealed that I already had an idolatry of numbers in my heart. Social media revealed that I actually thought it was all about me. Social media revealed that I was more obsessed with my church than the global church. Like social media didn't create that problem for me back in 2016. It revealed that I had gross stuff in my heart that I needed to deal with. You see, again, when it comes to social media, the temptation is to sort of blame it for our jealousy issues. To say social media is the thing that's causing us all to be twisted up and jealous and angry and anxious but I'm not convinced that's the case. I'm convinced it's revealing my heart. And the, and the reason I think this is so is I wanna say a statement that I don't believe is true. And I want you to see how just insane and absurd the idea that it's all social media's fault is. Here's the statement I wanna show you. It's this, that nobody ever struggled with jealousy until the internet was invented. Like, you know, that's not true, right? Like no one ever struggled with jealousy until social media came online and then suddenly that was a new part of the human experience. Or no one ever struggled with jealousy, let's jump to a different subject, until women's magazines were invented and that's what causes all of your insecurity and all of your jealousy and envy. No one ever struggled with, with, uh, with jealousy. That was never an issue in the human experience uh, until like diet culture came along or capitalism came along. Like, like you can just lay your jealousy at the feet of someone outside of you. And if you do that, you'll never actually deal with the stuff going on inside of you. See, I wanna convict you on this tonight. I don't want to have you criticizing what's outside of you, replace replace you dealing with what's inside of you. When it comes to your jealousy, your envy, that gross, disgusting feeling in us we have when we want what someone else has, we need to understand that the principal problem is inside of us. It's not out there. The problem isn't someone else. The problem isn't the culture. The problem isn't Instagram. The problem isn't anything out there. The problem is in here which means there's work to be done in our own heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. I wanna show you how it continues this way in verse eight. It says, Saul was very angry at this refrain, right? Saul's killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. And the refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time, Saul kept a close eye on David 
The next day, an evil spirit uh, from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house when David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. So, So let me pause. In verse 10, there's this wonderful, weird, bizarre reference to this evil spirit from God coming upon Saul. People have all kinds of questions about that. I'm not gonna get into that tonight. I believe kind of at the root of it, it's God allowing Saul to experience the consequences of his sin and the consequences of his pride rather than God being the one who's like infecting someone. But we won't get into that. If you wanna talk about that later, we can. I wanna point to this. I wanna point to the fact that Saul is getting jealous, right? Saul is comparing himself with David. Saul is getting anxious and afraid about David. Saul is starting to get all twisted up. And then what does it say? It says, Saul has a spear in his hand and he hurled it saying, and this is important, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. See, here's what happens. What happens is Saul starts to get jealous Saul starts starts to get jealous and he looks for someone to blame. And rather than doing the work actually inside of his own soul, rather than self-reflecting and doing the work with God and his spirit inside of himself, instead, he looks outside of himself and who does he blame? David. He blames David. He says, I'm jealous, I'm envious, and the problem is not in here, the problem is with David. Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, we assume our problem is with the person who possesses what we lack. Like we assume our problem is with the person who possesses what we lack. So someone else in the class is smarter than you and they were just born smarter than you. You work harder than them, but they get better grades and you assume the problem is with them. Or someone else has a better car or better clothes or a better lifestyle and you assume the problem is with them. Someone else is dating someone and you're all alone and they seem to always have the best boyfriend, girlfriend, relationship. Everything seems to be magical in their life but not in yours. So you resent them and assume the problem is with them. Uh, I've seen this um, for years. I did high school ministry here at this church uh, and I'd see high school kids who were both playing the same sport, but one just like hit the genetic jackpot as a kid, right? Like they just had, like they were bigger, they were stronger, they were faster. It was nothing about their work ethic. They were just born this like athletic freak. And then I saw the one who wasn't born that way just be resentful and angry toward the person who was just given the gift of genetics. And I've seen this. We assume the problem is with the person who has what we lack. But here's the issue. And again, this is why tonight I want you to think about the specific person, the specific type of person that you are jealous of. I want you to realize and remember this, that your issue isn't actually with that individual. Your issue isn't actually with that individual because if you had what that person had, you wouldn't be jealous of them. You would not be jealous of the individual who has what you have if they had it as well. Like, let me put it this way. So for years, I don't anymore, uh, but for the first 10 years of me driving, I drove a Honda Civic, okay? Um, I was never jealous, and not like a cool Honda Civic, by the way, not like, oh, cool. Like, no, the most basic car in the world, okay? I was never looking at other people with Honda Civics being like, I am so jealous of them, right? Why? Because I had what they had. I wasn't jealous of that. So what does that reveal? It reveals that the issues of jealousy aren't actually about them having it. It's about me not having it. My issue isn't that they have the thing. It's that God could have given me the thing too, but he hasn't given it to me. So here's what we ultimately need to come to the conclusion. The the issue isn't in the other person. I'll put it to you this way. As long as I believe my issue is with the person I'm jealous of, I'll never resolve it. 
Like, listen, whoever you're jealous of, whatever person, whatever name pops into your mind, whatever person just stirs up your envy, you will never overcome that and find healing as long as you think the issue is with them. Because ultimately, if you had what they had, you would not be jealous of them. Again, Andy Stanley writes this. He says, if you were a theist by any definition, meaning you believe in God, which many, many, maybe even most of us do, your jealousy issue isn't really between you and God. What God did for one, he could have done for you too. But for some reason, he didn't. Your problem isn't with the person who has what you don't. It's with your creator. He owes you. Like in other words, if you believe in God and you believe God is active and involved in this world and has a plan and blesses people and gives things to people, your issue is ultimately with God. Because God could have made you skinny like that person. God could have made you as smart as her. God could have given you his kind of talent. God could have given you her athletic ability. God could have given you the relationship that they share that you seem to never be able to have in your own life. God could have given it to you, but he didn't. And so ultimately, jealousy. Jealousy is our declaration that we are upset with God because we think he owes us. You gave that to her, but you didn't give it to me. Ultimately, your problem isn't with the other person. Your problem's with God. Your problem is with God. I'll put it this way. The reason we get jealous is because we think God owes us. We think he owes us one. God, if you could have given her that, why didn't you give me that? If you gave him that gift, why didn't you give me that gift as well? We think God hasn't dealt the cards evenly and we are upset about that. And the best way to start to uncover this in our soul, if there is part of you that goes, yeah, yeah, God, Why'd you choose to put me in that family growing up rather than that family? Because this family I grew up in was dysfunctional and abusive and dangerous and hard, but his family was perfect and easy. God, why'd you give me this? You owe me, God. Here's what we begin to do. What we need to do is we need to take that before the Lord. And if there's actually a little part of you that thinks God owes you, here's the prayer I want you to pray. Uh, not, it's not a nice, sweet, easy prayer, but it's a gutsy, raw prayer. Here's the prayer. I want you to pray this. I want you to pray, Lord, I'm resentful about my life and I think you owe me. I think you owe me. If your jealousy is taking over, if you just find it kind of overwhelming your life, at some point you need to go before God and say, God, I think you owe me. I'm mad at you. I'm jealous of this person because you gave them what you could have given me. And if you find yourself uncomfortable with saying, God, I think you owe me one, then you are right on the edge of a breakthrough in this area of your life. Let me say that again in case you missed that. If you're uncomfortable praying the prayer, God, I think you owe me, you are right on the edge of a breakthrough of your jealousy because you are right on the edge of realizing that God doesn't owe you anything. God could have given you nothing and you would have had no complaint. Here's how it goes on this way in verse 12. It says, Saul was afraid of David. Now, now this is a really interesting moment. It kind of encapsulates what's gonna happen later on in Saul's life. I actually wanna put it to you this way. If I can put this next slide on the screen, it's gonna say this. I wanna show you the descent of King Saul, this king, this tall, handsome, strong, powerful, rich king in six verses. In verse seven, he starts comparing himself. And then in the later part of verse seven, he starts to become jealous. His jealousy leads to anger in verse eight. And by ver the end of verse eight, he's insecure about his life. In verse nine, he becomes obsessive. It's all he's thinking about. All he can think about is David. In verse 11, he becomes violent and starts throwing spears to pin David to the wall. And by verse 12, he is terrified. 
then if you continue reading on in the life of King Saul, it will ultimately unwind him to the point that he spends years hunting down David, trying to kill him, going to war to try to prove himself, and ultimately it will cost him his life. It is the unraveling, the descent of King Saul. And I need you to understand this tonight, that unchecked jealousy will eventually unravel your life. Like again, my fear is that there's someone in this room who's listening to this sermon going, Brian, you don't understand me. You don't know about this. I'm jealous. I don't want to deal with it. And you've just kind of stuffed it down because that's what our culture teaches you to do. If you feel jealous, don't talk about it. Just stuff it down and pretend it's not there. And I want you to know if you do not deal with your jealousy, it will unravel your life. Not it might unravel your life. It will. It'll destroy you from the inside out. It goes on this way and it's going to help us understand why. In verse 12, it says, Saul was afraid of David, which we just read. It says this, because the Lord was with David, but it departed from Saul. And here's something I want to point out to you tonight. This verse right here is the first time in the story we've been reading tonight about Saul and David and jealousy and comparison and fear and insecurity. It is the first time God is actually mentioned. It's the first time God is actually mentioned. And it's mentioned in reference to this, that God is with David. God is lingering with David. God's presence is with David, but God's presence has departed from Saul. In other words, Saul has walked away from God. God doesn't factor into the picture. God is not a part of Saul dealing with his jealousy. Saul has arrived at the pinnacle of his life and thinks he doesn't need God anymore. This is the first time in the story God is even referenced. And here's why I think this is important for us tonight. Um, the, the danger is that I'm kind of talking about jealousy in such a way tonight that, that could kind of be talked about at a TED Talk or in some psychological thing. But, but I want to try to, to, to just kind of get that out of your mind tonight. This is not just sort of tips and tricks on how to deal with jealousy. And here's why. Um, because we often describe jealousy as a feeling we experience, Right? Like when we talk about jealousy, what we talk about, we talk about it like feeling fear or we talk about it like feeling anxious or, or feeling worried about something. We talk about it like it's a passive thing that we experience. I got jealous. And we talk about it like it's something that happened to us. But I wanna clarify something for each of us tonight and that's this, that the Bible describes jealousy as a sin we commit. That we think of it as a feeling or an emotion we experience. The Bible describes it as a sin we commit. In Romans chapter one and Galatians chapter five, it's going to give this list of all these terrible, horrible, awful sins, murder and orgies and lying and stealing and all sorts of disgusting, foul stuff. But in all of those little lists, jealousy or envy is just thrown in there. See, ultimately God doesn't see jealousy or envy as just a feeling or an experience or an emotion you have. God understands that your jealousy, your envy is actually sin. And why is that true? Three words. If there's three words I want you to remember tonight, it's this, that jealousy is idolatry. Jealousy is idolatry. When I am jealous, when I am envious, when I want what someone else has, when I get twisted up around wanting what someone else has and thinking, I just need that in my life. God, you owe me. If I just had that, it's idolatry. Let me try to prove it to you this way. Um, I'll give you a few examples and I've, I've shared some of these tonight. Um, I want you to imagine you're jealous of the way someone else looks. Um, you're jealous of the way someone else appears. Maybe they're skinny or maybe they're strong or maybe they're tall or maybe it's their hair or something about them. Here's what we say. I want their body, right? And, but here's the problem. We want her body. Why? Because we want to feel lovable. I think if you get underneath some of your jealousy issues, what you'll realize is the reason you want someone else's body isn't because you actually want to live in their body. It's because you think what they have makes them 
lovable. Or let me put it to you this way. You see someone's car and you just think it's amazing and you love that car and you want to be in that car. You want to own that car. Maybe I could say this. You want that car because you want to feel significant. Because if you drive around or you roll up into the parking lot or someone sees that in your driveway or sees you park at your school or your work, you'll feel valuable and significant and meaningful. Maybe it's someone's talent and you see how talented someone else. We dig beneath that and here's what we find, that you want their talent because you want to feel valued. You want people to value you and your skills and your ability and your talent. Listen, we think of someone with like influence or popularity. They're well-known or they have a big platform, even a big ministry platform. And we think this, that we want their influence because we want to be known. We want people to know us. We want people to love us. We want people to value us and think of us as significant. If you're out there and you're just jealous of someone's relationship, well, she's just in an amazing relationship and it just seems like their whole life is a fairy tale. What is it you want? You want her boyfriend because you want to feel intimacy. It's not that you want to date her guy. It's that you want to feel the intimacy she gets to experience. Finally, I'll give you this one. It's that we want his income because we want to feel or have security. Like underneath your jealousy is a desire to have the thing the other person has. But it's not the thing on the surface. It's not their intelligence or their talent or their income or their money or their cars or anything. It's the thing that we think that thing will bring us. It's being loved and lovable, special and valued, known and intimate. It's having security. And here's the problem. The problem I want you to see tonight is this, that what other people have will never get you what you really want. With that other person have that you're so jealous of, you're just so envious of, you just wish you had that. It'll never get you what you really want. Like you having a different body, a smaller, skinnier body, stronger, taller, shorter, whatever it is, you having a different body will never give you that love, that need to be loved. It'll never fill that hole in your heart. You having income, even if you make a million dollars a year, you will never have the security you're actually after. You having some cool car, cool house, or having some cool talent, that will never get you what you actually want. Listen to me, what other people have will never get you what you really want. And hear me, Saul, King Saul, he never gets this. He never gets this throughout his entire life. He sees something in David. He sees how David is loved and known and appreciated and sang about and talked about and written about. And he wants what David has, but he never realizes that it'll never really get him what he wants. And because Saul did not deal with his jealousy, it destroyed him. It owned him. It wrecked his entire life. And that's the cautionary tale for you. The cautionary tale is that if you keep obsessing over the idea that what someone else has will give me what I eventually want, it will ruin and destroy your life. And you won't even see it coming. See, I said tonight, the three words I want you to remember is that jealousy is idolatry. And the reason jealousy is idolatry is because idolatry is looking for someone else to fulfill the role that only God can. It's taking God off of his throne as the pinnacle of your life and putting in another person. See, jealousy is idolatry because every time you look to another person thinking, if I had what they have, then I would be happy, that is idolatry. So what's the response to idolatry? What's the response to jealousy? What's the response to everything we've talked about tonight? Can I just read over you Philippians chapter four, verse 19, where he says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Like my God will provide that. This is what Paul's response is to jealousy, to envy, to wanting what someone else has, to this idolatry of jealousy where we think what they have will satisfy our soul. He goes, no, 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 it's my God who will do that. And he's gonna supply every need you have. 
that need for security, that need to be loved, that need to be significant and known and valued and treasured. He's gonna provide everything you need according to his riches, not the riches of some other human being, through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here's the question tonight. If idolatry, if if, if jealousy is idolatry, what's the answer to idolatry? How do you break free of idolatry? How do you break free of jealousy? The answer is always the way you break free of idolatry. The way you break free of idolatry is by worship of the one true God. It's by putting God on the throne. It's by exalting him up for who he is. It's by worshiping the God of heaven and earth, the God who supplies every need for you according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's exactly what we're gonna do tonight. Um, Our our band's gonna make their way up and and we're gonna close with a few songs as we always do here. And, And that is the antidote. The antidote to your jealousy is to orient your life toward God. It's not tips and tricks and like little things. There's cool things you can do. But ultimately, if you don't orient your life toward God and say, God is the highest thing who will give me every single thing I need in this world, all of your attempts to deal with your jealousy will fail. See, that's what happened to King Saul. God left the picture. He was no longer orienting his life toward God. And when he did that, his life unraveled because of his jealousy. So tonight, here's the invitation. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And as you stand, I'm gonna invite you to sing. And as you sing out loud, as you cry out to God, I want you to present to him your jealousy. Say, God, I've been looking for my validation in, in that person or thinking if I could just get what she had or he had, that would make me happy. God, I wanna submit that to you tonight. And I wanna worship you as the one true God, the Lord of heaven and earth. Let's pray tonight. Father in heaven, thanks for tonight. Thanks for the opportunity to open your word. I'm just wondering if there's maybe one person or two in this room who are just so twisted up right now. Maybe they're so twisted up right now they can't even confess that it's jealousy, but they know deep down. God, I pray you would set them free of that. I pray no one in this room would have the faith that King Saul had that jealousy wouldn't unravel any of their lives, that the idolatry of jealousy would not reign in this church or in our lives or in our families or in our friend groups or in our apartments or in our dormitories or wherever we are. But God, I pray that worship of the one true God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. God, help that be true in this room tonight. God, help us worship in such a way that exalts you, that lifts you up and recognizes that you're the God who's gonna meet every need we have through the glorious riches of Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.